Thursday of 2022, and welcome back to a new season of Days of the New. That's right. We know we've left you hanging for a while. There's been a lot of life changes. 2021 was supposed to be a good year, and it turned out to mostly not be. So we're hoping to uh, start off 2022 with you guys with a brand new season, a full season of Days of the New. So if this is your first time listening to Days of the New, it's a podcast where me and my friend Nick go back to our high school days and revisit some of the classic new metal albums and talk about them. You know, sometimes they hold up, sometimes they don't, and sometimes they wind up turning out to be fascists. Uh, unfortunately, more often than not, it seems these days. Yeah. Speaking of fascists, who are we talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we are going to be kicking off this season with Stain's first studio album, Dysfunction. Yeah, this is a big one. This was a big album for me. Was it? This is probably a top five new metal album for me. Like going back, obviously listening to this, we're going to get into it. Um, it doesn't hold up in some areas as well as I, I'd love it to, but other parts of it did. This was an album that was absolutely on my radar and one that whenever the singles came on MTV2 or something, I would stop and pay attention. I never owned the album because it was kind of at that point where like I didn't want it found in my CD wallet. But whenever it was on the radio or whenever the videos came on, I would stop and kind of take it all in. For me, this one was heavy rotation for, for a while. I literally remember like driving to my uncle's house at Christmas on Christmas Eve and listening to this thing in my disc man and making my little sister listen. And she looked up at me with fear in her eyes, and now I understand why. All right, well, let's get into it. So, like most terrible things in this world, Stained began at a keg party in the greater Boston area. <laughs> Actually, it was Springfield, which is like 80 miles away, but I like that joke too much to pass it up. But it was at this 1993 Christmas kegger that guitarist Michael Mushuk... Am I saying that right? Mushuk? I think it's Mushak. Mushak? Yeah, All right, I don't I really honestly fucking know. I want to be respectful to the art. But anyway, he would go on to meet singer-songwriter Aaron Lewis. And while Mushuk was a Massachusetts... <laughs> I'm just going to fuck it up in all these different ways. I, let's really, we just pronounce it differently every time. Okay. It's funny. <laughs> so he was a Massachusetts native and a veteran of the local circuit. Lewis's path to that faded night is a little more involved. And because the specter of Lewis looms large over Stained, we're going to take a moment to get to know him. Okay. Lewis was born in Springfield, Vermont, the son of dental technician Ted Lewis and his wife, Sandra. As is the custom in Vermont, Ted and Sandra were filthy hippies who could not get their shit together. They grew pot, played in folk bands, and lived in a quaint log cabin on the side of a mountain where they would regularly put young Aaron's life in danger. I want to uh, read from a Rolling Stone article uh, from 2001. Their cabin sat adjacent to a dirt road, too dangerous to drive on winter months, Lewis recalled. They would have to drag me and the groceries up the hill on a sled, and then we would sled down to the Volkswagen bus when it was time to leave. So, wow. yeah. Another pastime of Ted and Sandra's was fighting and bickering their way to good old-fashioned acrimony. The Lewises would move to New Hampshire in 1980, where they'd split up and get back together, rinse and repeat. Eventually, it stuck, and when Aaron was 13, they divorced. So your typical kind of uh, new metal origin story. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, solid middle class upbringing and uh, hating your parents. Yep. So uh, it turns out Sandra was a total bitch. 
Lewis recounts to Rolling Stone, Me and my mom had a big blowout when I was 13 or 14. At the end, I basically told her not to call me and to stay the fuck out of my life. That maybe lasted three or four years. So this leads me to conclude that Sandra probably wanted to provide Lewis with lame shit like rules and routine and structure and that Ted was the cool dad. Which one was the the pot grower? Well, it, it seems that both of them uh, grew weed. They they both kind of get uh, saddled with that. So, you know, maybe like uh, Ted and Sandra hooked up and then Sandra's like, oh my God, I got to get the fuck out of this relationship. Ted can't even pay bills. We're sending our kid down to school on a sled. Uh, this is not a healthy environment. <laughs> this is also the part where we got to do the math. So let's say Aaron tells his mom to fuck off at the age of 14. Okay. Which lasts about four years. Now Lewis is 18 and legally an adult and has to get his shit together. So now he goes back to his mom with hat in hand. Fast forward three years later and it's 1993 and Lewis is 21 and he's hanging out with some dude at a kegger talking about starting a band. Uh, This guy is a fucking loser with zero prospects at this point. He exchanges numbers with Mashuk and immediately fucks off to Atlanta to attend Goldsmith School. Figuring that if music didn't work out, he'd go into the jewelry business run by his mother's family. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. When in doubt, just fall back on that family money. I was going to say, like, who just, who, what 21 years, like, I've got a passion for goldsmithing. (laughs) Like a 21 year old pioneer on the Oregon Trail. Yeah, right. You know, if there's one thing I've loved since the tender age of three, it's painting for gold, (laughs) smithing that gold, and dying at 40. I don't know. Uh, If only Aaron Lewis died at 40. Oh, God. Right, right. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Here's an interesting part of that same Rolling Stone article about Lewis's time in Atlanta. When in Atlanta, Lewis worked part-time as a cook and started hanging out with two metalheads, Tim and Mitch, who turned him on to Pantera, Sepultura, the kind of heavy shit Lewis had previously ignored in favor of Led Zeppelin, U2, and James Taylor. So this is the first and only mention of Tim and Mitch. So why was it important to state that's who got Lewis turned on to heavy shit is beyond me? Okay. You could just have easily written, while in Atlanta, Lewis worked part-time as a cook where his co-workers introduced him to acts like Pantera and Sepultura. There's no need for Tim or Mitch, who aren't given last names and are never heard from again. Yeah, that's super bizarre. That's just bad writing. I, and I would be pissed off if I was Tim and or Mitch, and I could read. <laughs> motherfucker didn't even give me a last name well i mean to be fair like do you remember the first person that ever played you pantera and on a scale of one to ten how big of a piece of shit were they they were such a huge piece of shit (laughs) hold on hold on his name was uh fuck tony i want to say it was tony I, I I think mine was named Tony too. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first song, the first Pantera song I ever heard was fucking hostile because naturally, like, hey, listen yeah, to this, yeah, like, on a school bus. Did Did your Tony find Jesus? Yes. Shut up. Mm-hmm. I think I actually think he played it to me at, at like uh, vacation Bible school, if I recall. Oh, dude, my Tony found Jesus too. <laughs> I I don't know if t- this Tony ever found Jesus. We you know our parents found Jesus and put us in vacation Bible school. 
No, this guy like found found Jesus, like the the type of guy who like now he plays bass in like oh, one yeah. of those hey wear your jeans to church bands, mm-hmm. and it's just a keyboard and a shitty drum set. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, something about guys and Tonys yeah, in the nineties. Yeah, guys named Tony that love Pantera. Just you know, keep your distance. <laughs> the second thing, what happened to the goldsmithing, Aaron? You know what I think. I think you fucking sucked at it, and you took your sorry ass back to Springfield. Well, I mean, like you—you've seen Aaron Lewis, this fucking meathead with his stupid stubby fingers. You think that guy could like <laughs> meticulously craft elegant jewelry? If he held on to the goldsmithing, I mean, he'd probably be the official jeweler of the Proud Boys at this point. In time. <laughs> Man, you know, there's just something about iron crosses. They're easy. The symmetry is there. <laughs> Nothing fancy. Just a vulgar display of power. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Unfortunately for all of us, he jammed with Mashak and drummer John Wasaki, which, again, fucking that up hard. No, I think Wasaki is, is how I've pronounced it. Wasaki. All right. Um, and bassist Johnny April, and in 1995, Stain was born. Not Stain. Oh, just Stain? Stain. Okay. The D comes later. Now, why the name Stain? Nick, any thoughts? Uh, I don't know, but I, I I didn't realize how big of an influence Stained was on my early like music creation. Like I literally started a band called Tarnish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This band was called Stained. <laughs> there are some similarities there. <laughs> well, if, if you had to give a uh, one-sentence explanation for why a band would name them name themselves Stain in 1995, it sounded cool. Oh, sure. Nick, what do you think the chances are of other bands in 1995 having the exact same Oh, yeah, same they, got a, they got a cease and desist in the... <laughs> Of the millions of bands named Stain, there are two Stains specifically that were gaining traction and ultimately made our Stain change their name to Stained. But both of these Stains would also go on to change their name. Okay. So first up is another new metal band named Stain from Providence, Rhode Island, and their whole career is a roller coaster of shitty names. They started as a band called Regicide, then changed their name to Smudge, then to Kilgore Smudge, before finally just Kilgore. What do you think a band like that sounds like? Cold Chamber. Everything that is me Look back being chased by my eagle back You hear there nothing but a It sounds like Boomhauer from King of the Hill joined Life of Agony. <laughs> I can't figure this out. Uh, that, so- no, that band sounds like Everybody listening to this, probably, the majority of us probably are all come from similar backgrounds, grew up in some shitty suburb. Every fucking band, when you were like 21 and finally were able to go to the local bars and grills in your <laughs> shitty suburb, this is what the bands that played sounded like. Every fucking one of them. In the mountains, I bleed, I want to feel a band. <laughs> but like, did you notice there's like dudes like hardcore dancing in that? I did, like, I did. Um, yeah, like, I just I can't wrap my head around it. Hey, man. Um, Ro- Rhode Island new metal. Yeah. 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 
So that is one stain. And then quickly, the last stain is from Orange County and had a similar journey of shitty names, starting with Straight Lace. That is S-T-R-A-T-E Lace. Yeah. Then Razzle. Then Stain before finally landing on Lit. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah, dude. My own worst enemy. I kind of like Lit. I do. I kind of like him. I mean, like, they had that whole, like, bowling alley, like, mid-90s swingers, Vegas baby vibe, which was super lame. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I think they're a perfectly serviceable alt-rock band. All right. I'll give you that. The lead singer actually has Stain tattooed across his stomach. Probably right above, like, some, like, cherries and, like, dice with wings and, like, other assorted rockabilly bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Back back when dudes got six shooters tattooed on their hips oh. before that became the territory of uh, porn stars. Oh, God. So, yeah. Uh, in my experience, there's no problem that can't be fixed by throwing the D in. <laughs> Which is exactly what they did. And in 2009, Aaron told the Vegas Weekly, it was very confusing to certain people. And we found out about this, so we added a D. We were stain originally, then we just added a D at the end of it, so it wasn't the same as the other band. Cool. You may notice that anytime we speak in the voice of Aaron Lewis, it's be- he has a southern accent, even though he's from fucking Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Stay tuned for episode two, folks. <laughs> so, stained, gig around playing covers of Rage Against the Machine, Alice in Chains, The Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. Eventually come some original tunes, and on November 29th, 1996, Stained released their cleverly titled album, Tormented. Right. This is seriously the opening of the album. It's been like this forever. No more. I hate my fucking life. Really? Wow. Yeah. Subtle. Yeah. Very subtle. Uh, But yeah, this is precisely what you'd expect. It's a hodgepodge of styles and lyrics about being misunderstood, suicide, being twisted inside. Some of the tracks would actually find their way onto later albums, but overall, it's precisely what you think the best local new metal band in your city sounds like. So this would be the point where I say they broke up three years later and became guitar teachers or line cooks or goldsmiths. And maybe they would have, if not for one man by the name of William Frederick Durst. This is probably the most well-known piece of stained trivia, so I won't belabor the point. But on October 29th of 1997, Stained secured a spot opening for Limp Biscuit in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, I say they secured a spot because Limp Bizkit did not invite them. In fact, they had no idea who the fuck Stained was. But when Durst, a self-professed devout Christian, saw the artwork for their album Tormented, he lost his shit. Nick, would you care to walk our listeners through this highly offensive piece of album art? Yeah, I mean, it's got uh, it's all religious iconography and blood. So it's it's a gatefold cover. Um, so you know you can open it up and see the front and back is one total image. But there's somebody there's like a, a face that looks to be like buried in a wall, and there's like a rosary coming out of its nose. There's a bloody <laughs> crucifix, and uh, most notably there is a Bible with a knife through it. If this was your mixed media project for your community college, um... that's actually what this looks like. This looks like edgy junior college art student 
yeah, mixed media collage. Yeah, for sure. That's it. So despite his protestations that Stain be kicked off the bill, they played, and after their set, Durst changed his mind and declared them one of the best bands he's ever seen. To be fair, though, like how many bands do you think Fred Durst ever saw in his life? <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing not very many. Yeah, poor Fred. He, like, never got to, like, see a good band. No, because, like, in the age when, like, we were doing that, he was, like, fucking breakdancing and shit. (laughs) By the way, I know it's three o'clock, but... Wow. Gotta keep with tradition. Uh, Well, it's... Mm. Not even... What what time is it? 12.42. So, yeah, I can't can't start yet. Yep. Well, I'm drinking for two. (laughs) It wasn't long after that. Durst personally signed the band to his label Flip. With the biggest name in new metal and a massive war chest at their disposal, Stained went into the studio in December of 1998 to record Dysfunction with producer Terry Date. Now, we've run through Date's fides in previous episodes, but still, for a quick refresher, this is the guy behind all of your favorite Deftones, Limp Bizkit, and Pantera albums, uh, along with seminal hip-hop masterpiece Sir Mix-a-Lot's Swass. Oh, God, that's right. I forgot about that. There's a bunch of bullshit from members about what a huge step forward it allowed them to really mature and explored more complex themes, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to April 99 when Dysfunction is released on the world. Clocking in at a total of 56 minutes, three seconds, Dysfunction would spawn three singles and go on to be certified double platinum. So let's get into this masterpiece. In the, the initial review for this album, NME panned this album and wrote, quote, It wouldn't be so bad if his voice didn't bring to mind Eddie Vedder being fisted in jail. <laughs> <laughs> fucking late 90s were fucking Holy wild, man. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an NME. Yeah. <laughs> man, they didn't fuck around, no, did man, they? they? just came right at him. I will say about this album that of... A lot of the like freshman albums that we review, this one is the most cohesive. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Godsmacker, even albums that rock like Kitty. Like, there's a lot of filler. Oh, and definitely. There's yeah. there's filler on here. Only a little was, though. Like yeah. towards the end of the record, I think it goes into filler territory. But like, I'm not gonna, not going to say they're all bangers, but they're all well constructed compositions. It definitely feels like album and not just like a shit we got signed fucking jam for nine minutes the album kicks off with suffocate and so you know there's no track on here that goes over two words their second album there's no track that goes over one word like every single song title is just one word at no point should anyone listen to anything that aaron lewis ever has to say about anything because like these are not smart dudes You know, it's kind of like the moment where you realize that you could beat your dad in a fight when you realize that musicians are just dumb fucks who happen to be really good at one thing. And lucky. And stupidly lucky. Yep. This song, Suffocate, jumps right into like what you kind of find out is what stained sound is. And a lot of it is uh, the production of this album. I mean, it definitely, you know, that Terry Date, like kind of Deftones vibe in the production. Um, Mike Mushak plays a baritone guitar for the most part. And that guitar is front and center. Uh, it's really riff heavy. The drums are really pushed up. The snare is high in the mix. And it's, it's generally, I think, a little bit 
legitimately heavier than a lot of new metal was. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it that. And it's undeniable that from Tormented to Dysfunction, Lewis's voice has really matured and it is on display. Like, this is one of the first guys who can, like, sing, sing. Yeah, and I think that I don't even know if he was aware of it when they made Tormented. Like, there's way more screaming parts and stuff. And I know that, um, you know, Fred Durst also helped co-produce this album. And I know that mm-hmm. Fred was pretty instrumental in telling him, like, bro, you can sing, like, air it out. Yeah. Um, and you can tell in the the versions of these songs that are on Tormented versus the ones that made it to Dysfunction, they're way more melodic. They're like mm-hmm. they took existing choruses and made them more hooky, uh, and, and it worked. Lyrically, I feel nothing, longing for something. We're off to a great start. Yeah, yeah. And this song should just be called "Welcome to My Mental Illness." Like, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you how fucked up I am for the next forty minutes of your life. Yeah, pretty much. The album then goes into actually one of my favorites, uh, Just Go. Mm-hmm. And this is a jam. Yeah, it's got um like swirly tool guitars and like the vocals are super powerful. Yeah, I think this is one of the, the highlights of the record too. Like I said at the top of the episode, this is an album I never owned. So like writing this episode was really the first time that I spent with a lot of these songs. And as a 40-year-old dude in you know 2021 when we're recording this, I was like, Fuck, this song kind of rocks. Yeah, like, I mean, when when Stained is on, they were on, you know, and that's yeah. like think why I liked them. Like, I found it a little less cheesy than mm-hmm. their their peers, even though in hindsight, going back, it's so still cheesy. goddamn embarrassing. Yeah, but this song, uh, so it has a lyric that goes, "I'm water while you drown. You're lifted while I'm down. I'm cancer in your womb." I'm the needle in your spoon. And like, I started thinking about it and like with all these trippy tool guitars, like this kind of is heroin music, right? Yeah. And like, so I was just watching that new documentary on Anthony Bourdain. Have you seen Mm -hmm. that? Mm -mm, No. Okay. So I haven't finished it. I watched it on an airplane and then it landed, but it was really good. And there's this segment where one of his friends says that Anthony's favorite song was by the Brian Jonestown Massacre, and he describes it as heroin music. And, like, it totally is. And I think that this is the heroin music side of new metal. I don't know if any of these dudes were junkies, but it kind of no. sounds like it. None, no, none of them were. They just knew what sold. Like, yeah. by and large, uh, you know, Lewis smokes a metric ton of pot, uh, maybe as a cold Budweiser here and there. But uh, no, none of these guys were uh, fucking riding the horse. I miss I miss heroin music, though. I mean, like, where's your, like, modern Black Rebel Motorcycle Club? And, you know, like, part of the problem is probably because, like, you can't even find heroin in the United States anymore. Since yeah. the troops pull out of Afghanistan, all we got is fentanyl. What's fentanyl music sound like? Mindless uh- self-indulgence? <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Next song is Me. And I'm guessing that the working title for this one was Fuck Off, Sandra. Because yeah, uh, she really gets real. thrown under the bus on this one. Yeah, yeah. He opens with the, the line, I hear you talk about your family life. I wish I knew just what that means. And like, that's 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 sharp. Yeah, yeah. It's the, you know, uh, I hate you mom thing mm-hmm. where, you know, dude, she got you into goldsmithing school. <laughs> Fucking have some respect. <laughs> Jesus. It has that super new metal save me from myself lyric, like that trope that just repeats itself over and over again. Uh, Like Head from Korn, his autobiography is called Save Me From Myself. Save Me From Myself was a super big new metal theme. And I think also a Christina Aguilera song, if I recall. New metal adjacent, you know, she banged Fred (laughs) Durst, right? Yeah, we'll get into that. (laughs) Next up is uh, Raw. And, uh, 
someone wants to be the Deftones so bad. Yeah. yeah, it's got like kind of a cool Mashi breakdown part. Big new metal guitars, big gonna kill myself energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for like five seconds and then it goes straight into sucking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the chorus falls a little flat. That inside I'm so cold part is just not great. But the melodies on this record are just so much better than all of their peers aside from maybe Seven Dust. Like, yeah. Dysfunction's weakest moments are when they try to fall on traditional new metal tropes of like meth scats and the thing where they just like whisper the song title over and over again, <laughs> which they do a lot on this album, and they're always the worst parts. Speaking of whispering the song title, Mud Shovel. So I would just like to get out of front in front of this and immediately admit that I have karaoke this song before. Have in, you really? In 1999. Shut and, up. Yeah. Was it at yeah. church camp? No, it was at uh, junior college. We uh, oh. we had this bridge that connected the two wings of the school, and there was karaoke once a week. Uh, me and the DJ hit it off, and I would just bring in my own CDs and just go over the top. And yeah, so some people in 1999 in Joliet, Illinois, were lucky enough to walk by in my skinny ass in like baggy <laughs> nylon pants, <laughs> screaming mud shovel <laughs> at like 11:30 on a Thursday afternoon. Oh. God, you know, if I were drunk me back then and I walked by that, I would not leave. I would fucking pull up a chair. I would be right there. This is my favorite song on the album. This was my favorite song back in the day. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why. Like, it's- No, I mean, I, I loved this song. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely the best song on the album, um, which is weird because it was the third single, but it was it was the song that broke them for sure. This is the one that introduced me to Stained. And... It is paint by numbers new metal. Yeah. You can feel my anger. You can feel my pain. You can feel my torment driving me insane. It's insane brain pain. Like yeah. it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's the textbook. So this song was notably on Tormented and Shovel and Mud Shovel was spelled with a U originally. Mm. Shovel. Shovel. The original version definitely feels like a demo version, but it's way heavier. It has like mm-hmm. way more screaming, and it's got double bass drum parts. And they scrubbed all of that for this 1999 version so that it would be accessible for rock radio. Down to the point where I'm guessing this happened in production, but there are parts of the original Mud Shovel that were just like pointless, like riffage. All mm-hmm. of that was removed, and it was streamlined into a, like a, basically a pop song, uh, and it worked. It's got it so worked. Uh, the video I loved. It introduced a trope that I cannot get enough of, which is white trash cheating on one another. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this song is yeah, literally about getting cheated on and then cheating on her to get even. Yeah, but like bro, she's uh, already banging other dudes. I don't think she cares. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, you already lost this battle. The video is a dude with an eyebrow ring getting off of his shitty third shift job and coming home to his moderately hot girlfriend sleeping with a dude with bleach blonde hair. Yeah. Just the skinniest people you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. just And they're all like glistening with sweat, but not yeah. in a healthy way. Yeah. Like... They're super a, gross. Yeah, they're so gross. Uh, and then at some point in the video, she's in a cage. Yeah, like, she's in a cage. This, so she cheated, so she's the worst, and now she's in a cage. Good <laughs> <laughs> old-fashioned misogyny. Yeah, so not only does everybody just look like absolute white trash, but the video also just shows Aaron Lewis like writhing behind this chain link fence, swinging the door, and he just looks like this wet, hairless man baby, like an abortion that didn't take, just like writhing around. It's so uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, God. 
Right? Fun fact, this song is ranked number 26 on bodybuilding.com's 26 new metal workout songs list that was published in 2019. Dude, if I saw a guy fucking pumping iron, you can feel my arc. <laughs> like, that guy for sure is going to kick the shit out of me at an Applebee's. Yeah, and his girlfriend. What's number one on that list? Oh, it was Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine, actually. Just a bunch of dudes not listening to the words. Nope, nope. <laughs> Especially not Aaron. You'd think the guy who covered Rage Against the Machine. Oh, I know. What, I'm yeah, or covered him. Public Enemy, which we'll get to. <sighs> Moving on. Home. This is another one that for me is like a top-level new metal song. Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. It has. I think it has a really solid composition. It's got cool guitars. It's got a big vocal melody. And in fact, some of like the clean guitar stuff on this song reminds me way more of like some emo and post-hardcore style approaches. Almost like Sunny Day Real Estate kind of noodling stuff in the background. Uh, Get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. I'm serious. <laughs> Dude, after arguably the best track on the album, Lewis hops right into the mediocre as fuck bag. <laughs> like, this is not a good song. I don't know. I, I kind of I like this one. Jesus. Hey, listeners, you be the judge. <laughs> yeah. Leave a review. Except for that fucking Australia. <laughs> what was his name? I don't know. We, uh, we, we, we can go off topic here. Sure. So, as you know, we have a podcast. We encourage everybody to please, you know, leave reviews, leave ratings, give us five stars. It helps the algorithm gets more listeners. In season one, we got a bunch of reviews, and then they all sort of fell off. But we just got this random one in July from Josiah Russell. And I'll go ahead and read this. Thanks for listening, Josiah. Thank you, Josiah. Three stars. That's fucking 60%, you asshole. <laughs> I was definitely excited to find... I, don't, I wish I could do an Australian accent. Can you do an Australian accent? Uh, <laughs> well, I can butcher one, if you'd like. I was definitely excited to find another new metal podcast. But disappointed... That it's another podcast seemingly filled with I loved it when I was younger. Now listening to it has I I, <laughs> okay. I now I, listening to it as an adult, it's rubbish. <laughs> Maybe I'm the weird one for genuinely still loving all this music. You are. And still listen to it regularly. The other thing I dislike, it seems to be 50% new metal and 50% PC opinions. Ooh. Have your beliefs, but we get it and don't need them stuffed into every episode. This aside, I do enjoy this podcast and would like to see it thrive. <laughs> Thank you, Josiah. Get the fuck out of here, Josiah. Like, I understand that you live in Australia and it probably took until fucking 2008 for new metal to fucking find its way down there. Jesus Christ, Nick. It, hold on. No, I'm going to shoot Australia some bail. Uh, Parkway Drive was dope. Thy art is murder. But um, start your own fucking banana. <laughs> I want to apologize that my Australian accent sounds like I was a grave robber from Whitechapel during Jack the Ripper times. Boy, <laughs> like, uh, I've got shit on me, Nickus. Like... <laughs> Uh, I like that he calls out our PC opinions. Like, yep, calling out Nazis is politically <laughs> correct. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where are we? We're, we're, let's, let's go to the next song. Oh, but uh, I forgot. The last lyric in Home is literally him singing about being afraid to be alone and afraid to come back home. It's almost like Aaron Lewis is looking for a safe space. Oh. Poor Aaron. Next song is A-flat, and... Is that because it's in A flat? 
Yeah, no. So this is like when, for anybody that's never been in a band before, like you'll start writing songs before you start putting lyrics to them. So you just call songs all kinds of weird names until you actually rename them when they have lyrics. And this is just them never renaming the song they wrote in A-flat. However, I do like this song. No, it's a good song. Wait a second. Hang on. Hang on one second. What? I don't think A-flat is a note. A-flat? I think that's a B. Is A-flat a note? God damn it. I'm stupid. If I had a piano in front of me, I'd know. (laughs) Whatever. We could scrap that. No, there it is. A flat note. A B. Yeah, an A flat is a B. Well, you can't just call the song B. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't taken music theory in like twenty-five years. I'm stupid. <laughs> oh god, I'm real dumb. Um let's let's close out this album. We got a couple more. We got we got crawl, which is just filler, and it's an incel anthem for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Okay, so Spleen is definitely one of those songs that's just designed to get a pit going. It has, you know, quiet, loud, quiet, loud. But uh, I want to I wanna actually play a little part. How about I just go eat some hay? <laughs> I can make things out of clay and lay by the bay. I just may. What do you say? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I didn't listen to the bonus track video. Okay, so Excess Baggage is just like a secret track that's clearly just a demo recorded on a four track. When you look at the lyrics, it's all like, Aaron didn't know this was being recorded. It sounds like it's recorded on a prison phone. It's trash. <laughs> Did you listen to their cover of Bring the Noise that was, like, recorded at the same time, the Public Enemy Anthrax joint? Jesus Christ, no. I mean, I don't know if anybody else sees the irony of Aaron Lewis covering a Public Enemy song. If somebody else did this today, he would call them, like, woke. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting tidbit, though, the song uh, Black is Back in the the lyrics, uh, Mm -hmm. Fred Durst changes to United We Stand in their version, which I think is pretty funny. Yeah. I really need to know. What does he say at the part where Farrakhan is a prophet that I think you ought to listen to? Stop, 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 stop. Yeah, it felt like something fell out. Farrakhan is the, and then it, or Farrakhan, and then it pauses out. Skip it over here, you'll get to hear Aaron Lewis rap. He does verse two. Uh, can you go to the part where he says radio stations I question their blackness? Yeah, it's just they, nonsense. I question they, their no. freshness. Radio stations, I question their blackness. They call themselves black, but we'll see if they play this. Those are the lyrics. Yeah, so, well, we get this. Radio stations, I question their freshness. We all think they're whack. We'll see if they play this. That's what I'm getting out of that. Oh, uh, all right. Well, I get it. Yeah, well, maybe just don't cover the song. To be oh, yeah, I mean, that's... The, the, maybe the, maybe that, the smart move that is... Maybe uh, the play. Yeah, well... <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so that concludes Dysfunction, but we're not off the stain train yet. Because next episode, we're going to be taking a deep dive into Aaron Lewis's career as a solo artist and an all-around piece of shit. <laughs> so this is the point in the episode where we tell each other what we've been listening to and play a little bit of those songs. So we leave you with a nice palate cleanser. So, Nick, what do you got? I guess my record of 2021 is uh, Radical by Every Time I Die. And I think my favorite song on this is Thing With Feathers. That's Thing With Feathers off of Every Time I Die is Radical. And that song actually has a guest vocal from Andy from Manchester Orchestra, if you recognize that voice in the chorus. Yeah, dude, that album is just incredible. So I'm going to play for you a band that I discovered about two weeks ago that I've been fucking obsessed with, and that is Stormkeep. So Stormkeep is from Denver, Colorado, or Mount Doom. It's very difficult to tell. And they describe their sound as a force of the supernatural a wind flowing through crumbling ancient ruins of a lost land buried by legend and mystery. They just released a new album called Tales of Other Time, and they describe that album as the penultimate tome of fantastical dungeon metal symphonia from a world beyond. Tales of Other Time presents six majestic hymns of triumphant, cold, and fierce medieval black metal. Sail across the frozen worlds of Elda and travel into a land of myth! Wow. These guys yeah. are fucking dorks. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's real dorky. I'm going to play a piece of a song from you that's 11 minutes long. This is A Journey Through Storms. shit sounds like some fucking trans-siberian orchestra christmas shit <laughs> dashing through the snow <laughs> oh man Stormkeep, tales of other time fucking uh, I, I i fucks with that hard dude i will too every every christmas season <laughs> Where can they find us? Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Days of the New. Um, <laughs> Why can you never get this right? It's how many seasons have we done? Three? Two, two point 2.1. 2.1. You never get this right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. At Days of the New. You can find me uh, at Instagram and Twitter at Nick underscore the underscore knife. 
And you can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. Make sure to go smash that heart button for pictures of my wedding. And you cannot find me on Twitter because... Because, because it's a fucking toxic cesspool that has set off a bomb in the brains of fucking everyone. And I really hope we make it to 2023. Here's hoping. Uh, We're glad to be back. Thanks for riding along with us. Uh, We will be back at you next week. Days of the New is a production of Palm Springs 86. You were there. Show me all.